Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Have you ever felt trapped at work, focusing on how you're limited and what you can't do? Today on Conflict Managed, Stephen Adams, founder and director of Inspirational Coaching Limited, encourages us to reframe our disempowering self-talk and instead ask ourselves, what can I do? After 26 years working for a well-known UK retail bank, Stephen Adams took redundancy in the autumn of 2019. Despite working in the finance sector for most of his career, his roles and responsibilities primarily focused on supporting people rather than dealing with money. Stephen's extensive exposure to numerous organizational changes led him to quickly learn that addressing staff and management issues swiftly, efficiently, and fairly was paramount to leading a successful and harmonious team. Subsequently, Stephen was fortunate to find a three-year appointment at an established consultancy that offered him an opportunity to hone everything he had learned to date. During his tenure, Stephen partnered with a broad mix of British and international clients whom each gave him an insight into a spectrum of problems that occur in their respective industries. Good morning, Stephen, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Yeah, hi, Mary. Good to see you again. Well, today in Conflict Managed, we are joined by Stephen Adams, who is the founder and director of Inspirational Coaching Limited. We're so pleased to have you, and you are um, in England, and I'm here in the States, and it's so wonderful that we have these opportunities to to chat. Yeah, it's a fabulous opportunity, and uh, uh, in the UK, we've actually got some sunshine today during our winter, which is great. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, the sun was shining here in Tennessee yesterday, and I realized how many days has it been without the sun? It's like one thing yeah. sometimes I don't notice until it's uh, it appears again. <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, well, Stephen, one thing I'd like to begin is it's just a, a general history of uh, your work. Tell us about your work history. So uh, I've had a really, really great work history. So I started off at 18 uh, working for a bank and I fell into that by luck. Uh, to be honest, there was a job advert and I was going to go traveling with my cousin. Uh, and then I saw a job advert. I thought I'd earn some money and then we'd go traveling. Uh, so 18, I joined a bank called Halifax and that was a building society then. Uh, but then by luck again, I got promoted and then promoted and then promoted. So we didn't go traveling, my cousin and I. So eventually I stayed with that bank uh, and it turned into Lloyd's Banking Group for 26 years. Mm. So I went through a variety of roles of cashier on the front desk uh, into management leadership and then senior management and executive leadership. Uh, and I had a great time up until 2019, which was uh, I knew the bank was going into a digital world. And I worked in the retail side of branches. So I knew my job would eventually go. Uh, so in 2019, it was a great mutual divorce when I was offered redundancy. Uh, and then I started to look into um, things that I love to do. And that was leadership development, executive coach. And I trained as an executive coach. Uh, and I also trained as a mediator. So I then went freelance uh, for an organization over a three-year period. Uh, absolutely loved it. Loved the wide diversity of speaking to clients, consultants, um, and really learned a lot. Uh, and then now, uh, as of the 12th of December 2022, uh, I've gone back to resetting up my own company that specializes in mediation, authentic leadership, uh, and also modernizing HR policies. So um, very, very lucky uh, and had a really good career. So I can't grumble. That's wonderful. So you started your own business here just last month. Tell us what exactly you're doing or or what is it you want to do with this, this business? So um, I truly believe that people come to work to do a good job. Majority of people. 
So I truly believe that. So um, this is a Steve phrase. I think 90% of, 90 of people are good, 10% are a little bit naughty. So <laughs> that, that's just my kind of Steveism. Um, but I truly believe, however, I think working in a bank for so long and people I've come across, people just need some help. So when conflict arises, actually nipping issues in the bud early enough and being adults, rather than I see a lot of issues subcontracted to HR departments where controls lost. Mm -hmm. so i think there's a way of mediation we can really help people um kind of restore their faith back in the company and organization because um, mary you and i know conflict happens every single day mm -hmm. but it gets out of control so there's a part there leadership i think um I, I recently looked at in the uk it's costing 84 million pound a year in poor leadership mm. Uh, and I also looked at recently of 2.4 million people that are classed as untrained manager per year. Mm -hmm. So I looked at actually, if we're going to set these people that go from doing really good at their jobs into managing people for the first time, they need some help. So I really kind of like that part. And then the, the last part that bolts on was around policies. I think our grievance, bullying, harassment policies are, they were written in the 90s. And they've been built upon to protect organisations rather than looking at the colleagues. So I've definitely kind of taken the work that um, over the years, there's better ways of helping colleagues and supporting organisations that's less confrontational. It's going to save them money. It's going to be more inclusive. Um, so there's kind of untold benefits. So those three strands I see as, um, and this is a Stephen as again, of it's probably a bit dreamy, but really positive forward thinking things to help people that that's kind of what I like is the forward thinking kind of part. Wow. I love everything that you're talking about. That's really the model for my business as well. I see that most people are there to do their job. They want to do it well and everybody makes mistakes and everybody has problems and that's just super normal. And I really want to normalize conflict and give everyday workers the tools to address their conflicts and make organizations such that that is the ethos. We do hard things. We deal with conflicts so that they don't spin out of control. And we all know the damage, the real damage that it causes individuals and then corporations and society. So how, how do you, um, what kind of advice do you have for people who deal with adversity, which is all of us at work? Uh, so the first, th the first part is, um, and this might be a bit spiritual. We're all human beings. We all make mistakes. Uh, and that's part of life. So I think, first of all, if we understand that human beings do make mistakes and conflict happens every day, I think you're on the front foot, first of all. So I think that's the first bit I look at. The second bit I look at is, um, and this is through our mediation training, all the mediation training I've had, I try to walk in that other person's shoes first to see actually what's going on in their life that could be triggering this bad behavior, these emotions, et cetera, upsetting colleagues. And I've also found from my experience that most of work conflict can stem from people at home, their home life, the pressures that they take on their children, family, et cetera, especially we've noticed during the pandemic has been horrendous for people, you know, studying at home and homeschooling. So when there's adversity, I always try and think, let me put myself in their shoes. I ask myself a couple of questions. What would they be doing or what's going through their mind? And then the other part that through adversities, I do like to try and get the problem out in the open relatively quickly. 
So I do like to try and speak to the colleague or the person. Um, and I would say I'm probably quite a good judge of character to, to notice when somebody's falling away from themselves. So not joining on our emails or the usual bit of fun, or they may look a bit messy in their dress, how, kind of how they usually come across. And my common phrase I use is, you don't seem yourself today. How are you? Mm. That's my common phrase. And that stood me in good um instead of uh, kind of over time when i was back in the bank and even now that if you just say to people you don't see yourself how are you it's amazing what gets off their shoulders and they're able to talk about so that's kind of how i cope that's a wonderful phrase and what you were saying just made me really think about part of the problem or part of the what happens with conflict is we immediately take it personally when somebody yes says, or we read an email that we think is curt, or someone says, per my last email, or they don't smile at us, or we think, oh, you're offending me. And it's, we take it in as if they are attacking us yeah. instead of what you said. E that's my first reaction. And that's a lot of people's first reaction. And to notice that stop and say, okay, this is not about me. This is yeah. about them, or it's not all about me. And so instead yeah. of saying, why are they attacking me? It's turning it around and saying, what's going on with them. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's really strong. If we can start having that empathy and start realizing that everything isn't all about us, that probably if, as you said, someone's not acting normal uh, as they normally would, or they're breaking rules of etiquette yes. or what, whatever it might be, that's probably has to do something with them. And yeah. if we notice that somebody else has a problem, it changes the dynamic right away. Yeah, it enables you to be calmer, more mm -hmm. rational. Um, and I see it going back to the emails. Um, I, I've just got one thing. If, if people have got a problem, stay away from emails. You know, you, people send them late at night when they've had a bit of what I call the courage juice. So alcohol, then it flows and they, they ping off an email. Um, my bit over the years is uh, go back to the old fashioned, pick up a phone, speak to somebody, but just try and walk in their shoes um, and I love the word there that you said, Mary, empathy. I believe in empathy, not sympathy. Mm -hmm. If actually you can try and understand their shoes, um, rather than be sympathetic, people will open up to you more and then realize that it's not your agenda, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, absolutely. So when you think about your history of work, what stands out to you as one of the best experiences, either with an organization or a colleague? So best experiences is having my own company now. So I'm going to say that. So a <laughs> plug there. Um, I love it. So I'm very, very lucky. Um, and I get out of bed. Uh, yeah, really kind of um, like a spring in my step. I can't, you know, really enjoy it. And I love all the people I meet. But the best experiences for me over the years, um, when I went into leadership, so my first big leadership role, which we're probably looking after about 250 people, I realized my job to be successful was to see the success of others. So in order for me to be successful, everybody else had to be successful in their own right. Mm -hmm. uh, and I used to love just seeing people get promoted. I used to love seeing people develop. I used to love even people getting things wrong, but they'd learn about it. So I used to get an absolute buzz by people doing well. Um, and I've got numerous people that I can kind of mention or things. But if you said to me what, what kind of moments over my career was other people doing well? And I, I always used to say to people when I worked in the bank, our job 
Uh, and you'll like this, Mary, because I'm going to refer to a colleague American football team, a, co- a college American football team, that our job was to recruit for the next generation. So we knew we'd have turnover. And if we had that in our mind, we'd develop people and we want them to leave because then you bring in fresh talent and new ideas. Once I got people thinking that, they didn't hold on to staff. They allowed them to flourish and grow and do really well, but they knew there'd be a turnover. So I would say that was the best part of my career is seeing people do well and develop. Yeah. You know, that's so lovely, that that way of thinking. Keith Carver, who I had on a while ago, he said, uh, if you don't develop your people, if you don't invest in them, watch out because you might get them to stay, right? And now you've got people who yes. haven't grown and developed and yeah. uh, and they're here. But if you invest in them and they grow and they develop and they and they leave, that's, yeah. you know, that that's a good sign because you've developed yeah. them. And if you have an eye, like that's what you're about, you're developing. Talk about a healthy work environment where people yeah. feel seen, heard, invested in, where they can flourish and either grow into other places in the organization or yeah. the other go out. And and I think the other part of, if you look at it, 80% of people in a working environment just want to do a good job. Mm-hmm. You've got you've got 10% that want to get promoted and you've got usually 10% that have had issues or problems, usually around about those figures or they fluctuate. I still believe that 80%, too many people forget about the good performers yeah. and they just keep going for the, the what I call the higher end. Whereas I believe that you should still be having good check-ins with people and asking them how can they improve in their current role? What skills or knowledge do they need to be current mm-hmm. in their current role? Because roles change. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a bit there of if organisations want to get a real good, strong leadership, work on everybody. Yes. Not just your high performers, because 80 percent is still your engine room that's going to perform. You know, I think that's uh, I have this idea of a book that I want to write. And it's something it's something along the lines of a manager should invest in all of the people in the organization that that um, that are under them. Instead of, you know, we think about the problem, the problem people get, you know, so if they've got 80 percent of the people are five and fine and 20 percent have issues one way or the other. You spend 80% of your time on 20% yes. of the people and vice versa, instead of, as you mentioned at the beginning, having good policies. So we know that we will encounter people who are difficult for us to work with, who don't yeah. really fit in the organization. We know that ahead of time. And so if we can set out policies and procedures and um, resources to help us deal with it, we don't have to constantly reinvent the wheel and invest all those yes. time into this kind of a time suck but yeah. rather really realize, okay, we're not going to do that. We're yeah. going to, sp- I'm going to spread my time evenly and invest in everyone. Yes. Yeah. And even when colleagues say, I'm just happy to do my job. Great. Spend some time with them. Right. You know, ask them what they like about their job. Uh, and I definitely noticed over the years, uh, one thing that I used to do at every bank branch, when I went or visited and there were 17 branches, I'd open the doors in the morning to every staff member and ask them, how are they? And then I'd have a couple of minutes with each person talking. And then when I left the branch, I said goodbye to everybody. And it was amazing having that time with people that they would open up, feel valued, that they feel someone cared about them. And then what I noticed them that they would flourish in their job, they'd be smiling. And at the end of the day, I wanted people to smile to customers. That was a big thing. Um, So so I think investing in all of your people, whereas I do see different management theories and that spending you know, 20% of the people forget the rest. That That's not my way of getting a really thriving culture. 
Yeah, absolutely. Everybody, everybody ought to be treated well, right? And, and when you see your colleagues being treated well, that tells you a message about what the organization really values uh, and how you should expect to be treated as well. Yeah, absolutely. But also, if you look, Mary, I think colleagues of theory X, theory Y, so born 86 onwards, I think in the top five of their um, kind of criteria for a job role, one of them is about the culture of the organization. So if if organizations don't change with the modern times, they're not going to attract, as we've seen at the moment, attracting talent is a problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, especially in the UK and I know globally but if you want to be the best change with the times and adapt your organization to get those best colleagues Um, and that definitely for me is about thinking ahead rather than staying in the past. Yeah I've been thinking a lot about in the US we have some labor shortages when it comes to minimum wage workers at restaurants and other places like that fast food chains and I think I kind of know how to solve that. How about let's treat them really well. Let's pay them a living wage. Let's yeah. make, you know, if you're working at McDonald's, let's make it the best experience. And there, I'm sure there are some um, franchises that do that. And, yeah. you know, wherever you are, whether you're in the C-suite or you are, you know, taking orders for fries, you can make those environments ones that are welcoming, inclusive, yes. because everybody, um, you know, we spend so much of our good time at work and everyone yeah. ought to be treated well and invested in. Yeah. And I think going on there, I, I I agree with you as well about how people are paid. And I, I uh, you can say I come from a capitalist background because of working in a bank. But what used to be disappointing and upsetting is if you saw your top CEO get an 11 million pound bonus and you've got cashiers, bare minimum wage that are actually filling the pocket that doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So I do believe in a um, hierarchy. That's just my own belief. Mm-hmm. But I believe in paying people fairly mm-hmm. because some people just want to do a good job to pay for their family and home, etc. But I, I definitely think that would reward experience. It won't solve everything, but it would re- re- uh, reward and make it fair. If I see Yeah, it. absolutely. Yeah, it, hierarchy makes a lot of sense and different roles get paid differently. Yeah. And yet... I think no matter where we work, we ought to have healthy work environments. And yes. if you can't retain people, if you have high turnover, that should be clue number one. Something is broken. Something is wrong. Yes. And it's very expensive to <laughs> to constantly having to recruit, having to yeah. train. And if you, customers stop coming because yes. of the bad service or whatever it might be. Yeah. And so in the long run, if you, we all know this, if you invest up front in your people yeah. and your processes, the business, you know, the return on investment yeah. is much greater. Yeah. Well, I think um, in the UK, ACAS, so kind of the, the guidelines within the UK for companies and policies, quoted recently from the CIPD that it costs to recruit somebody and get them up and running is about £25,000 per colleague. Right. So if you think about that, losing one colleague is going to cost you £25,000. If you've got a high turnover organization, that's not including productivity. That's just getting them up to speed. So it's a false economy. If you don't sort out your culture, you are costing at the other end, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. One thing that I'm interested in is um, talking to young professionals and mm-hmm. um, coaching them through uh, the different hurdles that they encounter when they come in. Yeah. And I think about when I first started uh 
working at a university and what I knew and what I didn't know. Are there anything, is there any advice you can give of some things that used to bother you when you were, when you started out that as you've developed and had more experiences, you realized maybe was not a waste of time, but your energy was spent thinking about um, and working on other issues. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I'll answer it, which I think I know the question, and then you can tell me if I'm wrong. So we'll <laughs> we, we, we go on that. Um, uh, so I think um, if I go back about uh, looking at uh, younger, etc., I think creativity was stifled. So I think with um, if I was to go back in time in a time machine, I think my creativity was stifled, and then I started to believe that I wasn't creative. Um, so I would say it was more like a control and command approach within the bank that you follow the rules, the guidelines. Um, it, it, and I remember going to meetings when people used to call it blue sky meetings and you'd come up with some ideas and people would go, no, we're not doing those. And I think, well, that's a waste of time and a waste of energy. But so I think going back in time, it's um, when I work with people, especially younger people, I want them to play on their strengths and I want them to be creative. And, and actually, how do you get around problems? How do you solve things? Um, and I remember being at a presentation quite a few years ago. And there was a question that was raised of if you give a paper clip to a child, they can find out 200 ways of what that paper clip can do. You give it to an adult, it's five ways. And they look at the logical. So so I think I'm going back in time, if I could have time again or working with younger people, which I really enjoy, um, I just want them to be creative and flourish. That's mm -hmm. that's the kind of time machine. Now, I don't know if that answers the question or not, Mary. No, I think that's a wonderful answer. Um, <laughs> I was wondering about you, maybe personally, if there was something that, like I see people looking around and, and um a lot of when I was when I was a younger colleague and uh, people my own age kind of I think we we're looking to other people in the organization for clues, of course, as to how we're supposed to behave and what is normal. Um, but sometimes we can focus too much on what other people are doing and then say, oh, that's not fair. Or this person is taking a long lunch or this person yeah. is coming in late and um, take it upon ourselves to manage our peers, which, of course, is not yeah. the role. And I saw myself doing some of that as a, a younger person being yeah. maybe too concerned about what other people are doing and not concerned enough about what I was doing and yeah. thinking about every job as a part of career advancement, even if it wasn't maybe the career that I wanted at the time. Yeah. So I know working in the bank when I was 18, it, I used to get really, really frustrated um around we had a few colleagues so we were allowed to have a break in the morning uh, a lunch break and a break in the afternoon um but we had colleagues that would used to have what's called cigarette breaks mm -hmm. so they'd have a cigarette break another break a lunch break a cigarette break a lunch break and an 18 year old um guy i used to sit there and go hang on a minute mathematically you're working a lot less than me i'm serving more people so i was on the till front desk so um one thing um I did say is first of all, and I think probably it was one of those ones that I learned um, quite early on was that I just spoke to my manager and I just said, could I just ask a question? Mathematically, this doesn't look right. I'm working the longer hours. I'm serving customers, et cetera. However, there are two or three people in kind of this position. 
And actually, the manager then did something about it. Now, what they did do, which was very good compared to where I see a lot, they did it in a nice, generic way and spoke to people about their breaks, etc. It didn't come as Steve said, because as an 18-year-old guy, you know, that could have been hell for me. Um, but actually, I, I think I learned up to speak. But the other thing I did learn, Mary, at an early age is you have to base things on facts. Mm-hmm. You can't base it on opinion. And I think that's the other thing... Um, it's probably stood me the good test of time uh, learning at the early ages you can't opinionize things because that creates chaos and conflict whereas if you could give factual evidence people can relate to it mm-hmm. absolutely well. because i think that's such a good point because we are trying to communicate with one another right and so yes. if i'm having a particular experience and i have certain feelings about it and I need to have a conversation with you because it's bothering me. I need to be able to say, instead of this person's driving me crazy, what, what is my boss supposed to do about that? You know, I can't yeah. work with this person anymore. Okay. Well, what precisely is the problem? Yes. And if you can yeah. articulate and make it clear yeah. for yourself, first of all, you've made it clear for yourself and now, a, and your boss, yeah. and now yeah. you, a path forward of looking at yes. behaviors has presented itself. I also like what you said about, I mean, it looks, seems like a justice issue. You're working more than these other people. Why is that fair? And, you know, I think when at any age, whether you're, you're, you know, just starting out or not, it's those things that you see that should be brought up to management. And it's an opportunity for managers to really pay attention, you know, oh, oh, this is what's going on and always listening to frontline workers because they're there and they see it. Yes. And so being able to know, well, what do I do when I feel like I'm being treated unfairly? How do I speak up and really empowering people to know, people to know what to speak up about? Because if you speak up about quote unquote, everything that's bothering you, um, then that takes away your own efficacy. Like I should be able to solve this problem. If it's always cold or hot in the office, can I do something personally about it? Or do I have to, am I? now complaining about it yes so yeah. trying to find that line but also being able to tell management what is going yeah. on to um yeah. get assistance as well well the, the other bit to kind of follow on from that because i think you're right um if you think about conflict and how to resolve things so i remember in work and this is going back again at a very early age that i worked with people that were a lot older than me and they used to pick I wouldn't say bully, but it could be, if you viewed it nowadays, you probably could say bullying, but they were trying to pick fall. I was a youngster, you know, those kind of things. But once, and I remember this day vividly, we were, we, so we used to finish work at half past five. Um, all the colleagues that I was working with, there's about 10 of them. They kept, you know, picking fall, saying things and in, and I just stood there and I said, I'm going to stay to you all now. I've had enough of it. Mm. And the best thing that happened to me is they all gave me a round of applause. And they said, you've stood up to us. You're now one of us. Now, I took that as a good thing. Now, you might go, well, he's been bullied. and But I, that doesn't matter. That, that's what it means to me. Mm-hmm. But I learned to stand up for myself. But when it's the right time, and there is a right time to stand up for yourself, to talk to people. Um, and I see too many people stand up for things when they're hot-headed, they're not in control, they blurt things out. Whereas actually, there is there's always a right time. It could be a quiet place. It could be in front of public if it's everybody. There is a time to deal with things and also stand your ground. Yeah. 
That's so important to really think about. There is a time, but it's not necessarily when you're emotional. Every once in a while, of course, um, that is the proper time. Um, There are some things that are egregious and need to be called out immediately. And we can't help that we're having feelings about it. But I am really interested in um, feelings and the workplace because conflict is all about feelings. If we had no feelings, we wouldn't have conflicts. That is true. And we need to acknowledge personally what our feelings are. But when we're talking to somebody else, if what we really want, as you said, is forward thinking, how do we move forward? So how do I not isolate this other person, make them defensive, but rather actually communicate so that we can have this win-win restorative situation, conversation to address what happened, but really with an eye towards the future. But if I'm crying or yelling or steam is coming out of my head, the other person is just probably in survival mode and they've shut down or they're defending themselves and we're probably just making the situation worse. Yeah. Uh, And that's the bit where I've seen new managers, especially through my career, don't know how to so they've done really well at their career so it could be they're a salesperson they're insurance they're in medical so they've been good individually but then they're promoted into looking after five people 10 people 20 people they've never done it before and what i've seen is people then replicate the person before them so they've seen fear or those kind of things and and that's the bit where i see the gap so often is people are put into these jobs and it's sink or swim Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of mistakes happen where they offend people, upset people. They don't do it maliciously. Mm-hmm. It's just they think that's best. Um, and I've seen that so often that people um, speak their mind, they're rude, etc. because they think if I manage people, I fear shout at them, cry at them, slam the table, they're going to do better. Whereas the best managers I've ever worked with have the ability to be calm, take t- take stock, actually walk in that other person's shoes, speak to that other person, take that time. Whereas I do believe, especially newer managers, there's a there's a part missing yeah. that could help them. You know, that's trust. When we trust people, yeah. whether they're managers, friends, people in our family, we're able to do hard things together. We're able to bring up real problems. We're able to and we and we want to be our, our best selves around them. And so when you have a manager that isn't unpredictable, emotionally unpredictable, yeah. but rather, you know, we talk about psychological safety. So important yes. that when you feel like the other person is reasonable, that they yeah. want your best, that they are for you, then when they come to you, when your manager comes to you with an issue, uh, you're much more receptive to it and you're yes. more receptive to actually tell this other person, even if you have a problem with them, if they're doing something, if you have a good relationship. And so I think, you know, conflict resolution for managers begins with pre-hire before you in the high pre-hire process, you start building those relationships. You have those policies in place and develop them so that when the inevitable problems happen, you've already done the groundwork. You've, you have that down. But I'm going back to what I heard just before we froze is about pre-hire. I, I think it's so important when you're recruiting and you're hiring, it's a two-way kind of work. A, you've got to impress the colleague and the colleague mm-hmm. wants to be impressed by you, but it's it's mutual. Yeah. And if you can get that working at the beginning, whereas I still see, and I spoke to somebody recently that went for a job interview and it was five layers of a job interview. I was like, oh, come on. 
You don't need to put people through that. You can know whether they're good, bad or ugly in one interview. You don't need to put them through five. Um, and I think that's that's then the company is very arrogant, whereas I do believe a the best people I've ever recruited or employed is I've met them for a cup of tea and a coffee. We really talked about the good things of the organization, where they can help, what they'd like to know about the organization. So I, I think it's imperative. It starts from there rather than get people on board, hopefully try and impress them, if that makes sense. Yeah. I also think when you have all those layers, I think it's a signal to the person who's interviewing is there's a lack of power. Right. Yes. People can't make decisions. They're afraid to make decisions because they might make the wrong one. So trying to figure yeah. out who's really in charge. It's one thing to be, you know, a collaborative business where we want a lot of input, yeah. but you got to trust the people who are hiring for yes. you know the team that they're on. Yeah. And if, if that's not present, um, yeah. that's that's a red flag. Well, one of the things that um, another Steve is that leaders take the paycheck. That comes with responsibility. Mm-hmm. you've got to make decisions mm-hmm. you can't just take the paycheck for the good times mm-hmm. you've got to take the paycheck that you are going to have people issues or problems you are going to have to deal with performance management that comes with being a leader and a very good leader so um i, I do get the the bit there of um leaders thinking it's only for the good bit but you do take the salary yeah. so let's be honest about it you've got to take the responsibility that comes with it I think it's interesting you say that. It reminds me of an organization I was just talking to, which is not unique to them. But whenever I work with an HR department, uh, one of their complaints is that their managers, directors um, shove off all the problems to them, that the managers, the directors won't deal with the problems. And I understand it's for the reasons you've said, Stephen, people get promoted because they're good at their job, not because they have excellent management skills, which means being able to deal with conflict. And so here we have HR is either the the arm of the, the organization, the legal arm of the organization, or they're always playing the heavy because the managers don't know, don't want to yeah. deal with the hard things. Yeah. Uh, and that's um, uh, this isn't in a patronizing way. I feel sorry for HR colleagues. Mm-hmm. I think they're they're put in the middle of problems. Mm-hmm. So the their the leaders below them or you know their peers will say we've got an issue you deal with it. Mm-hmm. Then they've got stakeholders above going have you sorted out that problem yet? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of people in HR that have come into the role for strategic coaching development those kind of things that are actually just firefighting. Mm-hmm. They're not doing their HR role. So I have a real strong passion that I want to try and help HR colleagues do the job they want to do. And that's through these modernizing policies, et cetera. Yeah. But get them, why did you come into the industry rather than you're just firefighting grievance, bullying and harassment cases? Does that yeah. make sense? Absolutely. I mean, HRC is a helping profession. Most people go into HR because they want to help and they get to be, I was just talking to an HR professional. She says, the best part is I get to offer people dream jobs, right? So there are these yeah. wonderful aspects. Um, and of course, every aspect of a, every job has good parts and bad parts. But, yeah. you know, if we can move you know, HR into this people and culture function where yeah. they get to train and empower their leaders and just everybody yeah. on the line how to solve problems so that yeah. the very rarely every once in a while you're going to have the yes. you know real sexual harassment you're going to have embezzlement yeah. or whatever yes. it might be um but those are far and few between yeah and what actually Cause, happens 
Because the bit now is they're getting caught up in what I call the smaller issues mm -hmm. that could be nipped in the bud early with yes. right training, right development. But right. then it grows arms and legs. And when it grows arms and legs, people forget sight of the real root cause. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a, a fake cause, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, and I feel that's the bit where, not in a patronising way, as I say again, but HR colleagues, um, I know didn't want to come into the world to be firefighters, but wanted to come into the world to actually do some good things and be helpful. And they're just lovely people. Yeah. So they, they're there to help, aren't they? Absolutely. Well, when you think about the future of work and you know, this is what, you, your, what your business is, what you do day in and day out, what is your vision to bring about healthy work environments? What, could, what is something that any individual listening to this podcast, what could they do to help bring about a healthier work environment where they're at? Yeah. So I think it's a great question because a lot of people think it's the starts with the CEO and it goes down for the organization. So I do think it starts with the CEO and the kind of the board and the team, how they behave and words, actions, values, et cetera. So um, I, I strongly believe in that. But the other bit I believe in is you can create your own culture each day. You can go in as an individual and smile at people. Mm -hmm. You can go in and say hello to people. You can say to them, how was your evening? You can create that culture and that buzz within minutes. So I think there's a bit of let's stop always blaming hierarchy or senior people. You as an individual can go in and go, do you know what? I've had a bit of a problem at home, but I'm not going to bring it into work. I'm going to really, you know, give some good gusto with work today. Um, I'm going to organize, you know, someone's birthday treat. Um, I'm going to organize if we want to go for drinks after work. I'm going to do that. You can create that culture. And I firmly believe that um people that have done well in their careers and just enjoyed their career have put themselves out a bit. Mm -hmm. So that that's what I kind of believe of. Uh, and I, oh, this is really corny. Just go and smile at work. Come on, life's short. We spend two thirds of our life at work. You may as well enjoy it. Um, so that's one of my strong beliefs. You know, I love what you said, because what I enjoy so much about the work that I do, conflict resolution, is it's empowering. You know, yeah. when we are when we're in a conflict or when we're in a toxic work environment, uh, we feel so put upon and so deflating and yes. it's so confusing. But when you start saying, hey, guess what? You can do something. You don't have to wait for other people. You yes. can do it. And that's when you can you start changing. And yeah. that change could be a bit that you see you need to leave an, or, an organization or leave a team yeah. or do yeah. something else. But you don't have to be that victim. Yeah. Even if you have actually been victimized, you don't have to stay there. You can do something else. And yeah, it's well, right the, now. The, the, and it's, it's, it, there's two words that spring to mind when I hear um, and in organizations when, you know, the culture's not right. People always say, I can't do this. I always hear the word can't. And I think any leader listening to uh, the podcast, you know, when it comes out, just ask that person, OK, that's what you can't do what can you do and it just changes that mindset within minutes because people have to think about the positive going forward rather than sticking in the the kind of the conflict in the past or mm -hmm. the, what i call the you know disruptive conflict if that makes sense yeah absolutely oh i like that anything that we can do to help people reframe what's going yes. on to get to the to the future focus instead of being stuck in the past and playing those old tapes yeah. because yeah. that is very disempowering but the future yes is open and we yeah. get to decide it's not decided ahead of time we get yeah. to decide 
uh, yeah. what that's going to be. Uh, and, and to share with you just a, a kind of a phrase that I was taught, and it was from my mum. So I'll share you a phrase with my mum. Uh, a fabulous woman, my mum, absolutely, you know, a real good leader. But she always comes as a phrase for my brother and I of, it's not the problem, that's the problem. It's how you solve the problem. Hmm. And that's always stuck in my mind as since a child that you're going to come up against problems and issues, but rather than be stuck in that problem, how are you going to solve it? What can you do differently? And that's always stood in my mind. Well, so from the very beginning, your mom raised you to be a, a professional conflict resol- resolute. Well, yeah, <laughs> don't tell her that. She wants a commission, I think, for that, <laughs> isn't it? But no, and I think there's a lot of people, you know, if we take a lot from our families and that, you learn a lot. But I just think my mum's taught me a lot about resilience over the years. And life isn't perfect, mm-hmm. but actually, how do you make life, you know, a good place to be? Because I think it's a privilege to be on this planet. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. I've loved it. So I really appreciate it, Mary. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Stephen. It was a joy speaking with you today. Thank you for listening to Conflict Managed. If you have any questions for our guests or anybody that you would like to see interviewed, please let us know. You can reach us at Third Party Workplace Conflict Restoration Services. We are online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. You can email us at 3pconflictrestoration at gmail.com. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.